all of you. I am so excited. I have some great, great books to share with you. Um, so, here we go. I need to start with a disclaimer this year, because as we all know, books, libraries, librarians are under a little bit of an attack right now. And if you don't want to call it an attack, we're at least under a microscope. And so I want you to know that I don't want you to have to deal with that. So every book I'm talking about today, I have read myself. Every book that appears on the screen, I have read, or listened to in some cases. But my disclaimer is, is that if there's a book in a series, and there's only one cover on the screen, I've only read that one. So the rest of the books in the series, I'm leaving on your shoulders, okay? So I'm only gonna vouch for the books I've read, and yes, every book that appears on the screen, I have personally read or listened to. So, enough of that. Enough. Um, if you're looking for book suggestions all year, I have been taking on a new endeavor. I've started an Instagram account where five days a week I'm sharing book titles. Um, from picture books all the way to a few YAs. Um, so yeah, Monday through Friday, if you follow Read Along with MJ, um, you'll get some book suggestions. Now, I don't know what that's going to do for my talks in the future because a lot of books that I have reviewed on Instagram I'm talking about today, but you know what? It's going to be okay. It's all good. All right. You ready to get started? Mm -hmm. Here we go. I'm starting with picture books to kind of get warmed up a little bit, get the nerves out. Um, let's talk about literary critters. This is a book I learned about from a friend of mine, and as soon as... Um, this moves. Okay. <laughs> and as soon as I read it, I instantly started telling other friends about it. Literary Critters is about William Shakespeare, and he is in the winter of his discontent because he has no more ideas. And so he goes around the forest and he asks people like Mole Doll and Crane Austin and Edgar Talon Crow, um, and my favorite, C.S. Shrewis. Um, <laughs> oh, there's Charles Chickens in there too. Um, he goes around and asks all these different writers for advice, and none of them have the right advice for him. But what they do tell William is that he can find his own voice, and he eventually does. Um, I think this would be a great book to introduce younger readers to these classic writers, or I can even see this book being used in like a college class lit college lit class to see how many of the references you can pick out. It's a great, great, fun book. Um, wonderful, wonderful book. We'll start with that. Next up, um, this book is getting actually quite a bit of Caldecott buzz. So if you're at all interested in the Caldecott, keep an eye on this one. This is called Blue. And the history of the color blue goes back all the way to 4500 BC. Um, blue is actually used in our lives today in so many ways. I mean, we describe ourselves as feeling blue, or we talk about with kids that blue sets a tone. And this book covers the history of blue, and how rare it was, and how even at times in America, did you know that the indigo plant was a crash, cash crop that was harvested by slaves? And so it tells the ups and the downs of the history. It talks about Solomon's temple being used, it talks about the blue and the Jewish tassel. It's a beautiful book. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, and especially read the back matter because it's filled with amazing information. You will never look at blue the same way again. All right, we're going to talk about these two books together. And I'm a little intimidated right now because I've never had the authors of a book that I'm talking about in the room while I'm talking about it. <laughs> 
we're here right now. And so I'm like, I'm just going to look back there, Eric and Meredith, and I'm going to talk to all of you instead. Um, Eric and Meredith Scrodemore. Friends, these are the authors that as Christian educators, we want to support. They are writing biblically, culturally, contextually, historically accurate books for kids that are beautifully written and gorgeously illustrated. I mean, how often do we find that in Christian books for kids? Eric and Mary are just getting started. I'm expecting big things from them. I actually know about some of their projects they're working on. And friends, follow them on social media. Follow what they're doing and talk to them while they're here. Go buy their books because they're amazing. Let me tell you about the youngest disciple. The youngest disciple follows the story of John. Um, and in this book, our students learn that no matter what age they are, they can be disciples. It's beautifully written. The pictures in it are accurate to what Israel would have looked like. Um, because Eric and Meredith are both natural storytellers, Eric leads trips to Israel. I actually was in Israel with Eric last summer. Um, so these books are helping our kids understand the context of the Bible. The Mouse in the Manger is a great Christmas story um, about a mouse who realizes that it doesn't matter what size he is, he can still make a difference. These two books are amazing, and you could give them as gifts. If you're a grandparent, they probably belong in your grandchildren's hands, so you should for sure buy some for your grandkids. They belong in our classrooms. Support Eric and Meredith. These, this is the context, content we are looking for. Let me tell you about a couple other other projects as well. Um, the Wandering Wiseman is a set of a picture book illustrated by Joel Skuntanis. It also includes a 30-day devotional, which takes you from December 1 all the way to Epiphany, which is January 6th. And it comes with three plush wise men. Picture elf on a shelf, but actually Christ-based. I mean, come on. It's not going to get much better than that, right? Um, and the other book that they have out right now is a board book that's actually flippable, and it explains the Shema to kids. So you read one part in the morning, and you flip it over, and you read the other part at night. This has become my go-to baby shower gift. It's amazing. And like I said, Eric and Meredith are here. They have a booth down at the exhibits. Um, it's Fresh Wind Studio. Go talk to them. Go support them. They're wonderful, beautiful people. Okay? There you go. And it's just the tip of the iceberg from Eric and Meredith. Big things are coming. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some books for younger readers. Oh, Patricia McLaughlin sadly passed away last May. This is most likely one of her last books that we have. Patricia McLaughlin writes beautiful, beautiful words. Um, and this book is about Jacob. He is nine, and he desperately wants a litter of puppies. Jacob doesn't get a litter of puppies. Instead, he gets a litter of sisters. <laughs> when his parents have triplets, whom he calls the trips. And this book takes place over a year-long time period where Jacob starts to see the trips, not as a group of the trips, but as individuals. And throughout this year, Jacob is writing a report for school about a topic, and he decides to report on the trips. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story about family and getting to know people. Um, and does Jacob get his puppy in the end? Of course he does. Of course he does. Um, I would say this would be a great read aloud um, for second, third grade, if you're just looking for like a quiet story to calm kids down, fun little book to read aloud and talk about what families look like. 
sheep by Gary Schmidt and his late wife Anne, um, Elizabeth, sorry, Anne, his late wife Anne, but she, her pen name was Elizabeth Stickney. Um, wasn't he great this morning? Ah, oh, he's such a storyteller. One Smart Sheep is about, it's a very short chapter book, um, but it's about Wilson. And Wilson is Abigail Atwood's friendliest, wooliest, and smartest sheep. And one day, Abigail forgets to latch the pen, and Wilson escapes. And Wilson has an amazing adventure around town. Um, it's just a beautiful book written as only Gary can write with those perfect words in every sentence. Um, friendship, adventure, finding your way home are the big themes in this book. This would be another great read aloud, first grade, second grade, fabulous. The Class Critters is a series I discovered recently. Um, it's about Mrs. Norrell's second grade classroom. And in Mrs. Norrell's second grade classroom, something unique happens. If a child is struggling with an issue, um, the child turns into an animal for the day. So in the first book, Tally Tuttle turns into a turtle. And she has to go through all of these different experiences to learn the lesson that she needed to learn. Um, she is able to turn back into a child at the end of the day, but as all magic does, it has rules. And one of the rules is she can't tell anyone that she turned into an animal because then the rest of the kids in the class won't get their turn. Um, so the first three are very cute. They're all great. Again, this is a series. Um, so I'm only suggesting these three. These are the only three out yet. So I would, I would recommend reading these as they come out. You never know. You never know. But um, the back matter in these books as well is fabulous. Every book has back matter about the animal that the child turned into. Super fun. If I was a third grade teacher, I'd probably read the first one out loud and then have your kids read the rest. Um, we all know that sometimes easy books for older kids are hard to find. Miles Lewis um, is written by Kelly Starling Lyons, and Miles Lewis is in fourth grade. These are super easy chapter books with an older student, which makes it great for your kids that maybe need a little bit easier book, but they don't want to be reading about a second grader. Um, so Miles is good at two things. Miles is good at sports and science. So in the first book, King of the Ice, Miles learns about friction on a field trip to ice rink. Um, and so through all this, he learns that he's not going to be good at everything right away. In the second book, Wiz Kid, um, Miles, of course, because he's good at science, this is the science fair. But his cousin and his teammates are getting more recognition and more glory than he is. So he needs to realize that it's okay to let other people shine every now and then. Um, these feature great friendships, a great family. He lives with his parents and grandma. Um, I especially love that Miles' dad is a black history teacher. And so in the book, we learn about these amazing people in history. Um, it's just a beautifully written series, and I'm very, very excited to see where this series goes. Again, Miles is a fourth grader, so a great, a great introduction for your fourth graders. We love fourth grade. Esme's <laughs> birthday conga line is by Lord Lordis Hire. That is how you pronounce her name, Lordis Hire. Esme um, is just full of joy. If she was on the Enneagram, she would be a seven, for sure, without a doubt. Because we all know sevens are the most fun, right? Yeah, we do. Um, Esme lives on the uppermost floor of the top.
topmost best building, and today is her birthday. Esme's grandparents, Mimi and Pipo, um, they bought her a present, but they didn't plan her a party. So Esme goes around to all the people in the apartment building and gets them to plan the party for her. And she gets someone to bake a cake, and she gets someone else to do all the other party decorations, and the whole building comes for Esme's birthday party. Um, the second book is coming out next year. Esme is just a great, great character. I would love to have Esme in my classroom. Um, the Dead Sea Squirrels have obviously been up for a while. I'm sorry for not telling you about them sooner. Um, the Dead Sea Squirrels are written by Mike Naraki of VeggieTales fame. Um, oh, yeah. 10-year-old <laughs> um, Michael is on an archaeological dig with his dad, and he discovers two squirrels petrified in salt near the Dead Sea. And Michael and his friend Justin decide they're going to take the squirrels back to America. And when the squirrels arrive back in America, they come to life. And that's when all the chaos ensues. Um, every book begins with a Bible verse. Every book has a lesson to learn. They're great. I had a second grade teacher, right here, who read the first one out loud to her kids last year, and her kids begged her to keep reading them out loud. Um, and how's, how, do you know, how many did you get through? Um, just a few, because I also wanted to introduce them to other books. Because oh, yeah. you can't just do the Dead Sea right. Squirrels. Right. Um, but the kids <laughs> loved it. The kids loved it. So check these out. They're fabulous. Frank and Bean. Frank and Bean. These are super, super easy, very small chapter books. These would be great for like second graders. Um, Frank and Bean are a very dynamic duo. Frank is quiet and, and thinks a lot. Bean is out there loudly living his very best life. Frank is a writer, Bean is a musician, and in the first book, they realize that together with Frank's writing and Bean's music, they can write songs together, and so they do. In the second book, The Food Truck Fiasco, um, Frank and Bean, they both want to win a food truck competition. Um, Bean, of course, sells donuts with zip and zing, and Frank sells oatmeal. <laughs> and they do realize they have to work together in order to make their food trucks work. Um, so donut oatmeal, anyone? Uh, I love the way that these two personalities are celebrated in these books. It's okay to be loud, it's okay to be quiet. Both can be appreciated, both can be used. Just Harriet is by Elena K. Arnold. She wrote A Boy Called Bat a couple years ago that I suggested. Um, in this book, Harriet reminds me a lot of Ramona Quimby. Ramona was my absolute favorite. I can still hear Mrs. Lucas in second grade reading me that book out loud. Um, and Harriet is very much like Ramona. Harriet has just finished third grade. Um, she was named after Harriet the Spy. She has a cat named Matzo Ball, and she doesn't always tell the truth, unfortunately. Summer has come, and her mom has been put on bed rest because she's pregnant, and her dad decides to send Harriet off to live with her nanny, um, who lives on Marble Island, just off the coast of California. Nanny runs a bed and breakfast, and so Harriet goes and tries to be helpful, um, ends up making a lot of messes for her nanny to clean up, um, but she also becomes a bit of a detective in trying to figure out a secret from her dad's growing up on the island. 
Um, Harriet's just sweet. What I appreciate about Harriet is that even though she lies a lot, she realizes that it's not right to do that. And so she makes some amends for that. Um, just a great, great, great thing. And I just learned from the author this week that this is the first of three books. So it'll be another trilogy for us. Harriet's Spies come out, come out in February. All right, let's move on to middle readers. <laughs> and friends, I kind of broke the categories up. You can decide what's a young reader, what's a middle reader, what's an older reader, um, kind of based on what I tell you. But just know that I wasn't going to break it down by grade levels for you this year. All right. Oh, let's talk about the hummingbird. Mm. Natalie Lloyd, if you've never read anything by Natalie Lloyd, she is a magical writer. She has this ability to blend fantasy and realism in perfect harmony. In this book, um, Olive has brittle bone disease, which actually, Natalie Lloyd has brittle bone disease. This is kind of like her story. And Olive has never been to school because she's so fragile. Um, but she, her wish and her prayer is that she can attend Macklemore Middle School. Olive's parents relent and they let her go. The first day doesn't go very well, but eventually Olive starts to make friends. And throughout the whole book, Olive is trying to be in the school play, and there is this rumor of a magical wish-granting hummingbird out there. Feathers start appearing in the town, and the hummingbird appeared years ago and granted a wish, and the rumor is that it's coming back. And so Olive and all of her friends are trying to figure out where they need to be when this hummingbird arrives for that magic, because we all can kind of guess what Olive might wish for. Or will she? I don't know. Um, couple quotes for you from this book. Um, Everybody in the world deserves joy, deserves a moment in the spotlight. Um, another great quote is, terrible things happen in the world and exist in the world. But the absolute most wonderful things you can imagine, they also exist. Mm. Natalie Lloyd just has a way with words. So between her eccentric community of these crazy people living in this, in this town and um, Olive coming to grips with her brittle bone disease and joining middle school, this would be a great fourth, fifth grade read aloud. Middle school, this would also be a fabulous fifth middle school because it's just beautifully written, great story. I was crying by the end of the book. It's what I do. It's okay. Oh, Otter. I really need to like spread out the books I'm really passionate about a little bit, but can't. Um, Catherine Applegate, who wrote The One and Only Ivan, wrote Otter. Um, this is also written in free verse. Let's just take a minute and look at Otter. I mean, come on. This book is about Otter, the Otter. Um, it's actually based on several otters who were rehabilitated at the Monterey, Monterey Bay Aquarium in Monterey, California. Otter starts out in the ocean, but his mom disappears, and so he is rescued. He is rehabilitated, he's released, but Otter just can't stay out of trouble. So he ends up back at the aquarium, and the whole book is this beautiful story of friendship and of growing up and there's death in it and family and um, friendship. It's just, it reads like a song, this book does. This is another one I was crying at the end, but again, it's okay. Um, again, this would be a great third, fourth grade read aloud. This is one of those books when I got to the end, I read it in one sitting, I got to the end and I really wanted to go right back to the beginning. 
can read it again. So highly, highly recommend. <laughs> we all know it wouldn't be a CEA book, book buzz if I wasn't talking about Lisa McMahon, right? Lisa McMahon, her unwanted series is over. Um, last year we talked about Clarice the Brave. This is her new series, The Forgotten Five. The Forgotten Five is about five children, Bertie, Bricks, Seven, Tenor, and Cabot, who are, born, who are children of supernatural criminals. And these children live on an island by themselves. There was one parent with them, but he dies right at the beginning of the book. And these five kids are left with all these questions of who were their parents? Why were they criminals? Why did the city of Estero kick them all out? Um, so these kids decide to go to find their parents. But these kids have never been in civilization, so they have no idea what a cell phone is, or what a crosswalk is, what a restaurant is, what a credit card is, what money is. And so they go back to Estero to try to find their parents, and it's just a great um, fantasy if your kids like superheroes, adventure, um, magic, Great, great books for them. Um, the second book, The Invisible Spy, comes out November 8th. I just finished it. Um, it's great. I'd almost say it's better than the first. And for those of you who don't know, Trisha Keepers is Lisa McMahon's sister. It's true. <laughs> okay, so I mentioned that I cried at the end of Hummingbird. It was a few tears. I cried at the end of Otter. It was a few tears. This book about a made-up Mars rover had me sobbing, like messy crying for the last 40 pages of this book. Who knew that a Mars rover could bring out that much emotion? Like nose running, sobbing, crying. Um, this book had a lot of buzz before it, and I'm always a little skeptical when books have a ton of buzz. This one lives up to all the buzz. Resilience is a Mars rover that we follow from production to liftoff to roving to whatever comes next. I'm not going to tell you that. Um, but we follow this Mars rover on this trek, and it's all told from Resilience's point of view. So it's first person from a Mars rover, and you are going to believe this rover is real. 100% believe Res is a real person. Um, What's amazing about this book is that as we follow Rez's story, we see time passing because there's a girl named Sophie who writes letters to Rez. Sophie's mom worked as a programmer on Rez, and we see time passing because of Sophie's letters. So Sophie writes her first letter when she's in sixth grade, and her last letter when she's 33. And that's how we see the whole progression of time happen. I'm telling you, read this book with a box of Kleenex. Even you, Kevin. Even you, my friend. Fourth graders and up could easily enjoy this book. A wide, wide range of kids are going to enjoy this book and love it because it is amazing. Kleenex. <laughs> Cress, watercress. Um, Oddly enough, this is written by Gregory Maguire. Does anyone know what else Gregory Maguire wrote? Wicked. Yes. Gregory Maguire wrote Wicked. And so when I saw this, I thought, really? I read Wicked like when I was in high school. Is this going to be good? It's fabulous. Um, the illustrations are by David Litchfield. He did The Bear and the Piano. Um, his illustrations are amazing. So let me get you a quote. Every now and then, these quotes, if I write down books, quotes from a book, you know they're really good. Um, here's your quote. Friends take
care of each other. They don't run away. They don't make fun of each other. That's about it. Not a tricky concept. <laughs> that could be like plaster on our walls, right? Um, Cress is a rabbit whose dad doesn't return one night from collecting honey. And so Cress's mom and Cress and Kip, her very sickness-prone brother, move out and they move into a run-down apartment tree called Broken Arms. Um, an owl is the landlord, uh, mouse is the super, and there's a family of squirrels that are neighbors, so you can imagine what that's like. Um, this family, Cress's family, they're adjusting to loss. This book has a great feel of like family and that ebb and flow of grief. Um, the vocabulary is amazing in this book, and the illustrations are awesome. It's just a great story of like survival and coming back and realizing the value of family. Um, this would be a great class read-aloud. Wonderful class read-aloud. In like fourth, fifth grade, it would be great. Haven, A Small Cat's Big Adventure by Megan Wagner Lloyd. I actually have a third grade teacher reading it out loud right now. I said, would you just read this out loud to your kids and see what they think? So far? So far, they love it. They love it. Um, Haven is a cat who lives with Mom Millie. And Mom Millie becomes sick one day. And Haven doesn't know what to do. So Haven leaves home for the very first time in search of help for Mom Millie. Um, Haven's first idea doesn't work out. And she goes further away from home. And she has the help of a fox. And the two of them are trying to avoid a predator that is tracking her every move. And, you know, the question is, will Haven be able to bring back help? It's mm, a good question. It's a good question. Family, love, loss, believing in yourself are the great big themes in this book. <laughs> the Sheep, the Rooster, and the Duck by Matt Balin. So, this book is almost nearly impossible to describe, but here's my best guess. It's like a twist of fantasy and historical fiction mixed in with a little graphic novel feel. And when I put this on my Instagram, the author actually said back, he said, you know, I have similar problems when I try to describe this book because it's so very odd, but there are kids who are gonna love it. In fact, I gave it to a fourth grader and said, could you just read this for me and tell me what you think? He loved it. He came back, he said, yeah, Miss Stahl, it's a little odd, but I kind of like it. Cool, that's great. So this book is set in France in 1783, and everyone has gathered to watch the very first hot air balloon launch. And on this launch are a sheep, a rooster, and a duck, which according to the back matter, actually happened. But unlike what actually happened in 1783, these three animals are undercover, like, spies that are trying to save the world from disaster. <laughs> like I said, it's so odd. Um, so with the help of Benjamin Franklin's 10-year-old housekeeper meal, they work together to so stop a sinister plan and save the world. It's odd. It is odd. But it's weirdly good. So take that for what it is. <laughs> Too small Tola. Um, I just fell in love with Tola. Tola is a great, great character. Tola um, lives with her grandmommy, her sister Moji, and her brother Dapo in an, 
apartment in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, Tola is the youngest in the family. Everyone thinks she can't do things because she's small. Mm, I love those books that theme for our kids, like, you're small, you can't do things. Uh-uh, just because they're small, they can do so many things. Tola carries heavy food back from the market. She goes to get water for her family when the faucets aren't working. Um, she goes all around town and takes measurements for a local tailor when he becomes ill. Um, she's a small girl who gets stuff done. And it's just an amazing story to introduce our kids to a different culture, to a different way of life. Um, I just, I especially loved the end of the book where there are two cultures um, that are both trying to celebrate different holidays, Easter and Eid. And they kind of work together. And they celebrate the fact they both believe different things, but they're still part of the same community. I love that feel of we can still be a community, even though we have very different beliefs. Um, there is a second one that's out called Tola and the Three Fine Girls. I have not read it, so you know what that means. Stunt Boy by Jason Reynolds. Honestly, I would read anything Jason Reynolds writes. Would I put all of it in my classroom? No. But would I read it? Absolutely. This one you can put in your classroom. Stunt Boy in the meantime. Um, you know, Stunt Boy is just doing his job so that the real heroes stay safe. Stunt Boy's parents are going through a divorce. It's a little bit messy. And so whenever his parents have their mean time, hence the name Stunt Boy in the meantime. Um, his name is Portico, by the way, Portico Reeves. Um, he goes into a bit of a panic. Portico has anxiety. He calls them the frets. And he really wants to be the superhero that saves other superheroes, just kind of silently working in the background. This book is beautifully illustrated by Raul III, so there's a great graphic novel feel to it without being a graphic novel. Um, you've got anxiety going on, you've got an apartment building happening, you've got parents getting divorced. There's so many themes in this book that will resonate with so many different kids. And it's by Jason Reynolds, so you know the wording and the vocabulary he uses are going to be brilliant. And there's some great, great characters. Um, Gran Gran, who enjoys resting her eyes. She's not really sleeping, she's resting her eyes. Um, the family cat is named a new name every day. That's its name. And there's a crazy TV show called Super Space Warriors. Um, you can't help but cheer for Portico because he just is trying so hard to do the right thing. It's a great book. <clears throat> when life gives you lemons, make peach pie. This is, again, one of those. It's the first. I think there's three books out. I've only read the first one. So I'm only, for, I'm only endorsing this first one. Um, the Peach family has had a rough two years. Mom died of cancer two years ago, and Dad has kind of completely <coughs> absorbed himself in his research. So oldest daughter, Lucy, has been left to help take care of her two younger brothers, Freddie and Herb. <laughs> Great names. Um, one of Mom's inventions that she was working on suddenly was sold, and so the Peach family has a million dollars to invest. Mom's dream was always to own a food truck. So Dad and Lucy and Fred and Herb decide to buy a food truck. And they decide to make peach pies because they're the peach family. What could possibly go wrong with a dad and three little kids driving around for a month in a food truck? Um, again, it's a great, great story. They end up at the Ohio Food Truck Festival. Um, 
loss, grief, healing, family dynamics, relationships. It's a great story by Aaron Soderbergh Downing. Again, I've only read the first one. The Genius Under the Table is actually an autobiography. Um, Eugene Yelchin is, grew up behind the Iron Curtain in Russia during the height of the Cold War. And this is his story. This book looks like it's going to be for little kids. The size of it, the trim of it, the words, the pictures, it looks like it's for little kids. I would say fifth, sixth, seventh grade would actually be the sweet spot for this autobiography. This basically tells the story of what it was like to grow up as a Jewish family in Cold War Russia and how he used the bottom of the table to practice his drawing skills, um, how, what it was like to have neighbors that were probably spies for the government. It's a cool story, and it's his own, which makes it just that much more powerful. Um, again, I would go like fifth, sixth, seventh, somewhere in there. Okay, this is the only book I have an ever so slight hesitation on, so I'll tell you about that at the end. Um, after I sell it to you first, and then you'll be like, wait, why didn't you just tell us all that and then tell us that? Area 51 Files um, is set in Area 51. So spoiler alert, there are aliens living in Area 51, but they're called breakthroughs. And if you are in Area 51, you never leave. You never leave, you never, like, it's kind of like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Nobody ever goes in, nobody ever comes out. So one day, um, Skye, who was the main character, she lives with her grandmother. Her parents have died. But her grandma's getting old, and her grandma decides to move into a retirement center. Um, so Skye has no one else to live with but her uncle Anish, who lives in Area 51. So Skye goes to move to Area 51, but at the exact moment she moves in, a group of breakthroughs disappears because no one's been let in in a while. And so these breakthroughs, these aliens are gone. And so they're trying to figure out where they went, what happened to them. Is Skye's uncle to blame because he's the one who got Skye in? Um, there's a great alien named Elvis that Skye becomes friends with. The animals are named Spike, who's a hedgehog, a dog who's named Pickles. Um, so here's my hesitation. My only hesitation is some of the names of the villains. Our kids are going to think they're hilarious. I'm not always so sure parents are going to, so let me tell you some of these things. Um, there's, there's Officer Roy Rage, there's Agent Belcher, and Agent Farts. So, but they're the villains, so do with it what you want. That's the only hesitation that I have. Um, Sky, the other Sky does say holy cannoli. Um, but I don't know, you're going to have kids that connect with this book. So, I'm leaving that on you. You have all the information you need. Um, but like your big Nate fans, your Wimpy Kid fans, your Dog Man fans, this might be the book for them. Alright, hold on, you're looking. <clears throat> Older readers. Fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. You all doing okay? Okay. Good, good, good. Alright. Let's talk about the ogress and the orphans. Mm. If I hadn't read about this book, I probably never would have picked this book up based on the cover. I first thought, like, what is that? Uh, but Kelly Barnhill is an amazing writer, and this book answers the question, who is your neighbor? 
I was reading this on the plane, actually, home from Israel, and every now and then I would just lean over my friend and say, read this sentence, read this sentence, read this sentence. She probably didn't get as much sleep as she would have liked to, but it's bad. Um, this is the story of Stone in the Glen. And Stone in the Glen used to be the epitome of community. Everyone cared about each other. Everyone worked together. It was a beautiful picture of community. But one day, the library burns down. And everything falls apart, as it would. Um, <laughs> in addition to the library burning down, other key buildings in the community burn down, and the neighbors all become suspicious of each other, and the community falls apart. The mayor promises to fix things, but the mayor is only worried about himself. And is the mayor who he actually claims to be? Hmm. It takes the ogress, who lives on the outskirts of town, and some orphans to remind Stone and the Glen what it means to be a community. This is a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, Trisha read it as well, and we sat and talked about it for a long time as we debriefed about this book. Um, let me give you a quote. Mm. The ogress, after all, was performing acts of kindness in a town that did not deserve it, but still needed it all the same. That's the kind of stuff you get in this book. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. I can see Newberry written on this one. Uh, the School for Whatnots by Margaret Peterson Haddix. I actually had the opportunity to have dinner with Margaret Peterson Haddix this summer. She is delightful. Um, what would happen one day if a friend left you a note? A friend who had just disappeared. And all the note said was, no matter what anyone tells you, I'm real. Max was born to a very wealthy family. And Max's parents are concerned that because he's so wealthy, kids won't be friends with him for the right reason. And so Max's parents sent him to a private school where every child in the school is an android called a whatnot. They look real. Max doesn't know they're androids. Max doesn't know they're whatnots. And it's not until he graduates fifth grade that his very best friend since kindergarten named, named Josie leaves that note. No matter what anyone tells you, I'm real. So who were whatnots? Who were real? What is real? What can we believe? How did how do you handle mom and dad lying to you for all these years? Um, this book is clever and engaging. It goes, it alternates between viewpoints, and then there's this narrator voice that comes in every now and then and gives these little side quips. This book is phenomenal. I could not put it down. Um, this book captures wealth, poverty, privilege, power, what real friendship actually means so very well. It's a standalone book. Um, there won't be any others. It's phenomenal. It's great. Um, I wanted to know how it ended, and so I really, truly could not put it down. The Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamillo. And I'm just saying her name, some of you just smiled. Aww. So I've had a really hard time selling this book to kids, and I think it's because the cover isn't great. Can we just be honest for a minute? It's not a great cover, Kate. I know she doesn't have control over that, but I feel like if it was a different cover, I could, have, I could sell it better. I also have a very
very hard time describing this book, so I'm going to rely heavily on my notes, okay? <laughs> um, this book, as you know, is written by Kate DiCamillo, and she writes beautiful sentences as well. The book starts with this quote. It is written, in the Chronicles of Sorrowing, that one day there will come a child who will unseat a king. The prophecy states that this child will be a girl, and because of this, the prophecy has long been ignored. That's how the whole book starts. It's a time of war, and at one day, a mysterious child appears at the monastery of the Order of the Chronicles of Sorrowing. It's a mouthful. Brother Edict, who is very gentle, discovers Beatrice in the barn. She is curled up, she has a fever, she is coated in dirt and blood, and she is holding fast to the ear of a goat named Answelica. Now, Answelica the goat is not a friendly goat. So the fact that Beatrice is holding on to Answelica's ear means something. Brother Edict actually is the one that penned the prophecy about this girl. And he knows who Beatrice is, and he knows the king is looking for her. And so, between a monk who sees beauty everywhere, a boy with a brilliant memory who can talk to bees, a man who remembers how wonderful it is to laugh, Beatrice goes on this journey and she actually seeks out the king, even though she knows there's danger in that seeking. Um, I think this would be a great read aloud. There are just so many things you could discuss with your students. Fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, um, it's a beautiful book. I just wish it had a different cover. That's all. That's all. Um, I could read you a ton of quotes from this book as well, but let me just read you one. Just one. Nothing is more terrifying to evil than joy. Kate DiCamillo. She's a master. She's a master. There's a reason why she won two Calvary, two Newberries. Molly the Machine is a book I discovered this summer by Eric John Slangerup. Um, science fiction isn't a genre I'm normally drawn to, um, but when I can find one that I really love that I can suggest to kids, it's a good day. And this is one of those books that I actually enjoy, even though it's science fiction. This book is set in Ohio in the year, in the summer of 1983, when kids could play outside. They weren't inside on their laptops and cell phones. They were outside inventing and creating and riding their bikes everywhere. It was a glorious time. Um, I remember it well, but, <laughs> yeah, it was 83, I was, remember it well. Um, Molly, however, hasn't had it very easy the past couple years. Mom left, and Dad has become a bit of a couch potato. And so she is also, I feel like a lot of the books this year, now I'm saying this all out loud, have that theme of, like, disconnected parents. Why is that? I don't know. Um, so Molly ends up having to take care of her younger, nose-picking, destructive brother, Wally. And as much as Wally drives Molly nuts, Molly becomes very concerned when Wally one day is snatched up by a giant robot. So Molly uses her bike that has been tricked out by her Brunkle Clovis. Um, her tricked-out bicycle is named Pink, Pink Lightning. There is a plethora of like very active, very involved animals and pets that get involved in this process, and they go on this wild ride through far-flung Falls, Ohio, 
um, to save her little brother inside this robot. So again, it's a great, great read. I would suggest this probably for fifth grade and up. This would be definitely a middle school book, for sure, for sure, but it's fun. <clears throat> now someone told me I may have mentioned this book last year, Out of My Heart. We'll do it quick, we'll do it quick. How many of you know about Out of My Mind? Okay, I won't take much time to explain Out of My Mind though. If you haven't read Out of My Mind, you need to. Sharon M. Draper is another master storyteller. Out of My Mind was published 11 years ago. This is a sequel 11 years in the making. And Out of My Heart, Melody, who we learn about in Out of My Mind, um, just a brief, Melody um, is 11. She has a photographic memory. She's basically a genius, but because of her cerebral palsy, she cannot speak. And so no one knows what a genius she is until she gets a talking machine and they suddenly realize there was a genius trapped inside this body that we didn't know. And so that's book one. Book two, Out of My Heart, Molly, or Molly, Melody. Melody gets to go to summer camp for the first time. Um, and she gets to go to summer camp for differently abled kids like herself. And it's just a great story. Like, if you ever went to summer camp, this is that book that just celebrates those nighttime fires, that cabin life, um, and Melody experiencing all these things for the first time. She rides a horse for the first time. Um, she has that first sparkle of a crush on a boy. Um, out of my heart, out of my mind, has been popular with our fifth graders for years. Out of My Heart is getting just the same rave reviews. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, wonderful. Miraculous by Carolyn Starr Rose. Um, I loved trying to figure out what was truth and what was lie in this book. It's set in the 1800s, um, and 13-year-old Jack is indebted to Dr. Kingsbury because Dr. Kingsbury's tonic cured Jack's little sister. And so Jack travels around the country with Dr. Kingsbury selling this mysterious tonic that can cure any ailment you have. Well, there's another little boy named Isaac who also traveled along, and one day Isaac disappears. And so Jack starts to wonder, is Dr. Kingsbury all that he claims to be? Does this tonic actually work? And so he goes on a discovery with a local girl named Cora, to unravel the mystery behind this mysterious man. Um, Carolyn Star Rose has always written great historical fiction, and so this, this follows the lines of family, friendship, truth, forgiveness. Um, I do want to give you a heads up that it's kind of implied that Dr. Kingsbury killed Isaac, but it's never like described but by the end of the book, we kind of figure out that's what happened because Isaac was on to Dr. Kingbury's schemes and lies. So I would definitely say middle school for this one. We Were the Fire by Sheila P. Moses is set in Birmingham in 1963 during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. Um, I was fascinated by this book. I had heard about the Children's Crusade, but I didn't know much about it. And so in this book, we follow 11-year-old Rufus Jackson Jones, who wants to help the fight for his rights and for the rights of his sister. Um, Rufus's dad died in an accident at the steel mill, so Rufus had been raised by his mom. Um, but Rufus's mom remarries a wonderful man who they call Daddy Paul, 
And they eventually move out of the slum neighborhood into the white neighborhood. And so there's that tension between being the first black family in this neighborhood and still fighting for your rights. And as a child, what do I do? And so I didn't realize the volume of children involved in the Children's Crusade. I didn't realize the impact they had on the movement. Um, this is a great book. If you teach civil, if you teach the civil rights movement, if you teach um, social justice, this would be a great, great fit. It's a beautifully written book that's easy to read and easy to understand. Um, and it's called We Were the Fire because Rufus realizes when the police turn the hoses on the kids that they were the fire that they had to be put out. Mm. It's great. It's beautiful, beautiful. Thirst is another book if you teach any um, social justice. This would be a great one. Thirst is written by Bar Barsha Bajaj, and this is actually one of the global read-alouds this year that Perneal Rip runs, so you'll find lots and lots and lots of resources out there for teaching this book. Um, in this book, Minnie is a 12-year-old girl who lives in the poorest part of Mumbai, and water is very limited. They have long lines, there's dirty water, and there's actually water theft that happens. And so one night, Minnie and her brother and friends actually witness thieves stealing water, and they're seen. So Minnie's brother is sent away because his life is in danger. Um, Minnie's mom becomes sick with a waterborne illness, and Minnie has to step up and kind of do her mom's job, which was clean an apartment in the upscale part of town. Minnie has never seen a house with water coming out of every faucet just up the road. This book is great for um, just talking to kids about different cultures, the water crisis, so many different options with this book. Um, highly, highly recommend. And the author actually grew up in Mumbai, so it's kind of her story. Um, it's great. Middle school. I go middle school. The Last Map Maker by Christina Suntornbot. Um, this is a Thai-inspired fantasy. I loved like being immersed in this culture. It is a fantasy, and it's about a little girl named Sai who has been an assistant to the best map maker in the in the country. Um, Sai portrays a life of well-bred high family, but really she comes from a father who is a con artist, and Sai truly has no future. But Sai is invited on a map-making quest, and she goes along. And throughout this quest, there are dangers, there are lies, there's intrigue, and there's more secrets than Sai can even begin to imagine. So, you know, is it worth the risk that she has to take on this mission for a future? Um, can she help change the culture of who you are mattering much more than what you can do? Um, I just thought this was great, and I would have probably written down quotes from this book if I wasn't driving when I read, listened to most of it. So just like you should text and drive, don't write down quotes and drive. <laughs> um, another social justice book, Immigration, would be great for this one. In the Beautiful Country, written by Jane Quo. It's written in free verse, um, similar to Otter. 
and it follows the struggle of an immigrant family to the United States. It's 1980. Anna is so excited to move to the beautiful country. But when she and her family get here, it's not as easy as it looks. Um, they move to California. They buy a restaurant. They don't understand all the rules and regulations in America. Their restaurant is vandalized because of being an immigrant family. She is struggling at school because she doesn't speak the language. Um, and it might not be possible for them to stay if things don't turn around soon. This book is set in the 1980s. It could easily feel like it was set today. Um, the, the themes, the values, the stories rang very true to today. All right, here's a fun book just for you. You might be able to use this in your classrooms, but you might not, but it's a great, great book. John Hendricks wears his faith on his sleeve. Um, and if you ever want to just get lost on, his, on a website for a while, John Hendricks, um, illustrates his sermon notes. So whenever he's in church, he draws illustrations of what the pastor is preaching. And so this book called The Holy Ghost, um, it's just a thought-provoking, like, comic book. So they, he just wrote that one of them is about Halloween and how the ghost and the very doubtful squirrel are out trick-or-treating. The squirrel says, I didn't think you'd be into Halloween. Um, and the Holy Ghost, who may or may not be part of the Trinity, as John says, um, the Holy Ghost says, hmm, Halloween doesn't really bother us. Satan does his best work at Christmas. So it's all little things like that, that if you're in middle school, you could use some of these for devotions, for some of your discussions. Um, and just, you could easily read this in one sitting. I spread this book out over a month because I was just fascinated. And so many of these little comics Make me stop and think, huh. All right, graphic novels, graphic novels. How many of you are aware of the first cat space? Hey, pizza. <laughs> Friends, the first cat in space ate pizza. Started off during the shutdown. Sean Harris and Matt Barnett have been friends since they were like seven. They've been friends forever. And during the lockdown in 2020, every Saturday, Sean and Mac made a live cartoon called The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza. There are 12 episodes. I actually have shown them all in the library. Our kids are obsessed with this book. Obsessed. And so this is the graphic novel that came out of those live cartoons. They're all on YouTube. You should go watch them. Download the soundtrack. Yes, there's even a soundtrack to this. Um, it's amazing, and what I love about this graphic novel is it's all the humor kids want, but without the bathroom humor. It's just good humor. And there's book two coming out at some point, which I can, our kids are gonna flip out about. It's amazing, it's amazing. Watch the cartoons, read the book. Crab and Snail will be for younger readers. Um, Crab and Snail are BFFs. I'm sorry, BBFs, Best Beach Friends. And they just enjoy pondering life in the tide zone. And they have a know-it-all gull that flies around. And in both of these books, there are different issues. It's fabulous. Um, there are the Barnacle Brothers, Drip and Grip, who remind me a little bit of Statler and Walter from The Muppet Show. Um, it's great. It's just good fun. Great introduction to graphic novels for younger readers. <clears throat> Sir Ladybug would also be for younger readers. 
Um, there are currently three. Sir Ladybug. <laughs> uh, the whole book starts with a knock-knock joke. It's brilliant. Uh, he's a knight. He's a humble knight who doesn't go looking for trouble. Trouble seems to find him. In the first book, uh, they are trying to save a caterpillar being eaten from eating by a chickadee. In the second book, they confront a queen bee who is a bully. And in the third book, Sir Ladybug and the Bookworms. It's my favorite because Sir Ladybug has a library book that's almost overdue. And he wants to get it back, but there are bookworms thwarting his every move. Um, it's so fun. Just fun, fun, fun. Sloth Sleuth is Sloth Sleuth is about a sloth named Paz, who is a sleuth. Um, and she lives on the island of Winklefuss in the middle of the Bermuda rhombus. <laughs> it's an island where all the crim animal criminals go because they need a place to escape. Um, but when creatures start getting poisoned by the food, Paz has to come in and figure out what's going on. Paz is a great character who alternates between napping and getting around really quickly on different modes of transportation. Um, this book already has a long hold list of the library. It's great. The Max Meow series would be a great series of books for those kids who love that other dog series that's out there, graphic novels. I don't know. Um, Max is your average kitty in Kittyopolis until he eats a radioactive space meatball while visiting his scientist friend Mindy, and he suddenly becomes a superhero. And all four books have a different villain that's introduced. I have read all four. The latest one just came out a week or two ago. Um, they're just fun. Honestly, they're better than Dogman. <laughs> Don't tell Dave Pilkey I said that, though. Not that he has any clue who I am. Um, <laughs> not a clue. Otto by John and Jean. This book is a graphic novel written completely in palindromes. The whole book, every sentence, even the things in the background are palindromes. It's brilliant. John and Jean apparently is a master palindromist. Who knew what this was a thing? Um, but he has over 200 palindromes in this book. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Allergic, Megan Wagner-Lloyd actually wrote Haven. In this book, it's a graphic novel, um, Maggie has a rough. Her parents are get busy getting ready to the house for a new baby. She has twin brothers, so they have each other, and Maggie desperately wants a pet. And so she gets a pet for her birthday, only to realize she is horrifically allergic to it. Oh, poor Maggie. So she spends the book trying to outsmart the allergies and maybe find a dog that she could have of her own. I told you about Lightfall last year. The new Lightfall came out. It's just as great. It's amazing. That's all I'm saying. The Aquanaut by Dan Santat. Dan Santat, of course, is usually a picture book author. This book um, is about Sophia, whose father disappeared, but she tries to help out the aquatic park, park fantasy it's a unique book to describe, but it's amazing. And I know I'm almost out of time. Ride On would be for your horse-loving fans. Um, this book covers topics of friendships. It covers, some, it includes some crazy fantasy in it. Um, honestly, this would be great for fourth, fifth grade, and on up. All your horse lovers. Swim Team I would only put in middle school. There are some oh my gods in it. Other than that, it is fine. It is fine. 
But this book covers the life of Bree and her dad. They moved to New York, from New York to Florida, sorry. Um, and Bree is not a swimmer, but she ends up learning how to swim, and she becomes part of the swim team. And there's some drama that happens in the swim team. Um, but it's a great little, like, she talks, she has anxiety. They cover the history of segregated pools. There's forgiveness, friendship, all the things. Last one. Invisible is a great, great teen book. Um, it's about five middle school students who have nothing in common other than the fact that they can speak Spanish. And they are made to work together, and through that, they realize they have more in common than they want to do. Social Justice Unit would be great with this. It's actually written side by side, English and Spanish, which is pretty cool. And that's it. I do have some books to give away. Tell Mary Jo Sanger. Tell Mary Jo Sanger. 